You're such a dude when it comes to feelings like that. Like... I'm such a dude. <laughs> I really am. Welcome to Tencent Takes, the show where we duplicate ourselves unnecessarily, one issue at a time. My name is Jessica Fraser, and I'm joined by my co-host, the cloned collector, Mike Thompson. Hello, hello, hello. I said from too many multiple nows. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm suspicious already. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> Well, if you're new to the show, our main episodes drop every other week and provide in-depth looks into interesting moments in comic books and how they tie into pop culture and history. But today is one of our Dollar Bin Discoveries mini-episodes that we do in between those deep dives. We spend a lot of time rooting through dollar bins at local shops, looking for interesting stuff. Like, we've got boxes and boxes of stuff, people. And while a lot of the issues we find are fun and weird, there may not be enough for us to do a deep dive on at the moment. But we do always reserve the right to change our mind later. Each episode will feature both of us talking about one random issue that we came across in the dollar bins, one that fits a theme one of us chose. We'll talk about what it is, what goes on inside it, and why it's interesting. So these are mini-episodes that are meant to provide you with some weekly content between our more in-depth discussions about the weirder and more interesting moments of comic book history. So today, our theme is Seeing Double. Each of us will be discussing a comic that follows that theme. And I had a very specific <laughs> reason that I chose that. But Mike, what yeah. did you take from <laughs> my theme topic? I did tell you what mine was. Yeah. I guided you. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually having a little bit of a tough time because I was I was mm. like, I don't mm, like I don't have any clone saga books from the Spider-Man era, unfortunately. So that, that kind of. <laughs> OK, OK. That was a little bit of a kneecap. But I was going through the comics that Sarah and I had picked up at Harvey Doss's big dollar bin sale they had the weekend of our wedding. Mm -hmm. And I found one and it's called Superman King of the World. On the cover, it has Superman looking very stoic. And then there are all these other like multiple Superman in kind of like slightly different stylized outfits. And I was like, okay, so I'm going in totally fresh on this but i i picked it up yeah. i was like oh it's like a, a dumb 90s gold foil variant and so it turns out that that i bought the collector's edition oh. <laughs> yeah um i don't know i i think i just need to kind of go in and, and and overwhelm you with what goes on inside this like oversized one shot so superman king of the world was published in june of 1999 it was written by carl kessel penciled by doug brathwaite Inked by Joel Rubenstein, colored by Glenn Whitmore, lettered by Steve Dutro, edited by Joe Cavalieri and Maureen McTeague. We open on news reporter Dean Feltz narrating a news report, basically catching us up on some previous Superman issues that have been leading to this particular one shot. He explains that Superman has been like pursuing this plan to eradicate all crime on Earth in what's described as like a well-intentioned path towards world domination. 
Phelps also explains how the battle between Superman and this villain called Dominus is over now, but like, but not the war between them. Essentially, Superman holds a press conference after this battle that ended and Dominus was supposedly defeated. And he basically says that the villain is able to alter reality, which is why he's been acting kind of weird lately, but also Dominus is still out there. So as a result, Superman and the Justice League are going to pull out all the stops to capture him. And he knows that the efforts might seem invasive, but it's for the greater good. And then Superman leverages his army of super robots to like patrol everywhere, I guess. <laughs> it's Oh, okay. Yeah. That's not problematic. Yeah, no, not at all. And <laughs> they build like a new gold command tower in Metropolis for Superman to oversee everything. And then Superman himself sits in the middle of it on this throne, basically. And the news report dubs him Superman King of the World. And after we see the promo for this, Lex Luthor is extremely grumpy about said promo because it's going to air on his TV station and he basically can't stand Superman. So he's just all pissy about it in his anger. Lex knocks over a glass of water. And then immediately when that happens, one of the Superman robots is flying by and hears this and then checks in because it could be a sign of violence. So, so, you know, Lex takes the intrusion personally, but after the robot bounces, Lex receives a strange phone call from an anonymous caller. And so he immediately goes to his lab In the lab, Lex is trapped and then forced to put on a pressure suit as the chamber is basically being turned into an airless vacuum. Oh. Yeah, and then out of the shadows steps Lois Lane, who connects their suits with like an air host that nobody, not even those with super hearing, can overhear them. Okay. (laughs) This is like the first five pages. This is, what? These are some extreme measures. Like so much has already happened and we're only a couple of pages in. And this is like (sighs) your face as you're reading. This was pretty much my face while I'm reading it where Sarah's like, what the fuck are you reading? I'm like, I can't. (laughs) So basically Lois wants Lex to help her figure out what's going on with Superman. They go to Professor Hamilton's house where there is a deactivated Superman robot. Hamilton says the robot's a risk because it's displayed unpredictable behavior, but Lex turns it back on. And then meanwhile, Outburst, who is leader of the young superhero team, the Superman of America, which I had never heard of before this. And I feel oh, like I'm no. relatively well versed in Superman lore at this point. I'm sorry. That seems like a group of guys that would definitely have shaved heads. I, if you know what I You mean. think, but they're, they're basically, they're just all like, they don't even have like a Superman theme to them. That's the thing. They all just kind of have their own oh individual gosh. costumes and stuff. So Outburst is the leader of them. And he's got like electromagnetic powers. He's kind of like static shock, but like a less interesting version of him. Jeez. He flies to the tower to report that they still haven't found Dominus. And when he arrives, he comes across Wonder Woman mid discussion with Superman. And she's telling him that she and the other superheroes are actually like really concerned about his behavior. Like basically it seems like he's enjoying being king of the world, which makes them all a little wary. And Superman counters this by saying that one of the few places they haven't checked in their search is Themyscira and then like theoretically proposes invading the island, which of course upsets Diana. <laughs> and so, so she leaves and then outburst gives his report. Superman tells him basically to work harder and then outburst leaves. And as he's leaving Lex and Lois are being escorted to a holding cell by that reactivated Superman robot because they were plotting against Superman. 
And Outburst is like already concerned about everything going on. And so he's like, I think I'm going to accompany you guys down to the cell because I don't feel comfortable with the situation. On the way to the cells, they come across this giant security door with a force field, which is when Lex and Lois basically spring into action. Lois basically resets the robot to its original programming, which is like protection of Lois Lane. And then Lex shorts out the force field. Two other robots show up and they try to arrest the group, but the now factory reset bot steps in to protect them all. Outburst pulls the door out of the wall with his magnetic powers. And the group finds that Dominus is actually already there. He's behind this door and he's in a stasis field. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. Superman himself (laughs) then shows up. He cuts the protector robot in half. He knocks Outburst out. And then he attacks Lois while... Luther ends up freeing Dominus and then Dominus immediately protects Lois. And we get the standoff dialogue between the two of them about ending this battle as themselves. And then we see that King Superman is actually Dominus and the imprisoned Dominus is actually Superman. Okay. Okay. It gets really confusing because like a couple of the scenes between these two are colored in a way that it's really hard to tell who is talking because they've got like, very similar features and Dominus has this like a kind of robotic gray coloring to his face, but then Superman is talking, but he's kind of in shadow. And so his face is colored in the exact same way as Dominus. So I had to reread it a couple of times. Like, Oh no. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after this, we get Dominus kind of monologuing about how he knocked Superman out during their last battle and then used his reality manipulation powers to disguise Superman as a broken robot before imprisoning him under the appearance of Dominus himself, which, okay. It's like, it's oh, so convoluted. Yeah. It's so, so convoluted. convoluted. Oh, I was, I was listening to it and I'm like, at what point am I going to understand what's happening? Oh, never there was a point. Apparently I, <sighs> I reread this three times and I didn't feel like I fully understood what was going on. And I had to read the DC wiki summary of the story (laughs) and the funny thing is the dc wiki doesn't get it all right either like (laughs) like it's just wild Um, even the experts are confused (laughs) but here's the thing you think it's convoluted now it's gonna get worse like there's more oh yeah there's so much more so oh shit okay already you know like there's the reality warping powers whatever superman explains that dominus can quote Twist and shape reality by building on images he pulls from conscious alert minds, which makes no fucking sense. None. And so he then knocks Luther out with like, he like flicks him with his finger to knock him out, which is actually kind of funny. But basically he does it so that (laughs) Dominus can't access like, you know, the the criminal mastermind evil genius's thoughts. Okay. And then pull things from his thoughts into reality. Sure. You know, whatever. Okay. Well. (laughs) So Dominus, meanwhile sends out an order to all of the Superman robots all over the world and tells them to attack innocent civilians. But then he says that he'll call them off if Superman just submits to him. But then Wonder Woman appears out of nowhere and she says she's alerted the Justice League and they'll stop the robots just before Dominus literally rages about troublesome females. Like he literally uses, am I always to be plagued by females? (laughs) Like give it off some incel vibes. Okay. (laughs) Mega. Oh, man. So every time I read some dude talking about women and refers to females instead, I always think of the Ferengi now from Star Trek, where it's just females. 
females. Yes, exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> I have that meme saved on my phone for a reason. <laughs> oh, anyway, no. this is the point that we get the final battle. Really the only real battle, to be honest. Dominus encases Superman and Kryptonite, but then Superman breaks free without a problem. Superman reveals that Dominus had him in captivity for so long that he used the time to master what's called the Kryptonian theta state, which means Dominus can't use his thoughts against him and basically shatters the command tower to leave them floating in this white void to fight. Um, I don't know if this theta state thing is part of the larger Superman lore. Like, you know, as we talked about with Paul Copperberg, the lore for Superman is very convoluted and and dense. And it's also like a lot of times very weird and kind of like 1950s sci-fi, which is great fun. But in this case, it just, it sounds like gobbledygook. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a wild ride. (laughs) Yeah. So they're all floating in this white void. Lois being the ever intrepid journalist goes, Oh, the world needs to see this. And she figures out how to broadcast the camera feed from the bisected Superman robot to the rest of the world. And and so she somehow uses the robot to hijack the, the WLEX feed and broadcast the footage around the globe to kind of clear Superman's name. Dominus starts summoning all these weird alternate realities forth for like Superman to fight through. So we see Big Blue like battling through a number of kind of different scenes. That, and admittedly, this is kind of cool. Like there are some nice homages to like classic moments or stories. So there's that like iconic cover of him shattering from the, the kryptonite chains. Okay. There's Kingdom Come and DC One Million, which are all great fun. And finally, yeah. Superman says he knows who Dominus was really searching for and then summons forth an image of Kismet, who is this. She's like a cosmic being from DC Comics lore. She'd been around for a while. The comic apparently retconned things. So it turns out Dominus and Kismet were a romantic item before she gained her cosmic oh. power millennia ago. Dominus ends up raging about how she took the power that was meant for him and he should have had. And then he blasts her mental image apart before going after Lois. Superman jumps through Dominus so he can protect her. And when he does this, Dominus gets a glimpse into Superman's mind. And he's like, oh, but you know, you think you know where she is. And then Dominus opens his cloak and we see his body is apparently built from the souls of the people he's killed. It's got this like weird organic look to it, too. It's very weird. And then we get round two of the battle. Superman starts getting worn down. He loses his ability to maintain the theta waves. And so Dominus makes a comment about it being the end of the world for Superman, which causes him to think about Krypton as it's being destroyed. And then as they arrive in this kind of setting of of Krypton, Superman realizes what's going on. He flies off for a second and then returns with like a memory or dream or imagination figment of the Phantom Zone projector, which then he notes is just as real as anything else, thanks to Dominus's powers. And then he sends Dominus back to the Phantom Zone. Reality snaps back, and then Superman flies Lois and Lex to safety as the tower collapses. We get a news montage about how the rule of Superman King of the World is over. Superman speaks to the press about how he'll work to undo all the damage that Dominus brought about. And when he's asked how people can trust him, he basically is like, well, watch what I do and what I don't do, like trying to force my view of what's right on the rest of the world. And then he and Wonder Woman fly off together and Superman explains what happened to Dominus. He basically refers to Dominus as being trapped in a dream within a dream. And then he goes home to have his first good night's sleep in a while next to Lois and scene. That's it. Like, Oh, okay. I, wow. An abrupt end in bed. It's weird. So this 
has some cool ideas going for it. Like, I love the idea of Superman basically setting up a 1984 New World Order kind of style, you know, reality. It feels weirdly prescient given how this came out only a couple of years before 9-11. And then we got to see in real time the government surveillance state really get kicked into overdrive after that. Yeah. You know, there's also elements of Christopher Nolan's dream within a dream actions concepts from Inception. But it's really not a good comic. Like, this is... It's too much exposition. There are too many panels with nothing but talking heads. Like, Doug Brathwaite, really talented British artist who has been in the industry for a long time. And, like, he's currently working on the new Conan series from Titan, I think. Um, But most of the art in this book feels very... Like, I'm not going to call it mediocre, but it kind of feels like something that was done just because it was a job. Like, it's it's okay. perfectly serviceable, but it's not really exciting. And I yeah. think that's how the book can best be described. It's just not exciting. I keep forgetting how spoiled we are these days because there's a lot of really good Superman comics at this point. Like, yeah, there's so many good stories with him these days. But this is a reminder of what comics were like in the late 90s when they were just pumping shit out in like blatant cash grabs like this. It's just like, I, I cannot describe how underwhelming this book is. It's wild. Wow. There's no reason that we needed this as a standalone book, like with a four ninety five price tag, which was a lot of money for a comic. Four ninety five. Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. It's like, it's ridiculous. Wow. And like, th- this would be like a, probably like a $10 book now. And I'm like, no one would want this. Like, no. Like, let alone the collector's edition that I found in the dollar bins with the gold foil, which, I mean, that's the only thing I can see (laughs) is that it's got a gold foil, you know, like on the Superman logo and the title. But I'm like, I don't know what's so special about this that it needed a collector's edition. So. Right. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. So hopefully you were bringing something more enjoyable to the table. Uh, Or at least more interesting to you. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe you tell me, I guess there's going to be less description. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. There's less going on in it. (laughs) (laughs) There is both more going on and less going on. If that makes sense. (laughs) So today I've read a comic that you actually gave me recently. It wasn't quite a dollar bin discovery. I am cheating a little bit, but listeners, please don't hold it against me. Oh, no, th- this is definitely a dollar bin discovery because I think I got okay. five for four dollars. They gave me five Perfect. copies of this. So I know exactly. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Barbie Twins Adventures issue number one from Tops Comics. And it is, in fact, a collector's edition as well. There, there was no and... other edition. It's only collector's edition. <laughs> I hate to bring it to you. That's even better. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Barbie twins outside of this? I am not. No, they were like legit supermodels in like the 80s and 90s. They, okay. they were these identical twin women, basically, and they were everywhere for a hot minute. This was like the peak of their pop culture moment. So they were okay. they were actually real people who were like really big time models. But they they had some mental health struggles and some eating disorder mm. stuff. And I think they were the subject of like an E! True Hollywood story talking about all that. They're still around. They're really involved with like animal rights activism now. So, huh? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I didn't realize they were based off of anything. To be honest, no. With that's you. thing is like you talk to most people these days, and a lot of people 
even people my age don't necessarily know about him because, you know, like we were a little bit too young to really yeah. to be keyed into that moment of pop culture. But yeah, right. Gen X is the generation that was really kind of like their target audience. Right. They were huge for a minute. But the thing is, is like anyone my age or younger doesn't really know about them that much. Yeah. So the format of the comic itself is actually really interesting. It was a double feature with the ability to read a different story at the front of the comic yeah. and a completely different story if you flip the cover over, the comic over. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could have just put it all together because they're like, honestly, there were two different stories in one side of it and then one on the other. I was like, y'all need to make up your goddamn minds what you want to do with this. <laughs> I mean, this is very common for Topps comics. Like, go back and listen to our episode about Jason Goes to Hell with Andy Mangles, which Andy was a wonderful guest. Yes. But, like, they were really doing a lot of gimmicks. Like, they were polybagging shit, putting in trading cards with a bunch of stuff. Yeah. One of the other comics I picked up from that dollar bin sale was there's a gold foil signed version of Mars Attacks from Topps. Like, mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very so, nice. Yeah. So this was published in July of 1995. The first side of the comic, well, what we'll call the first sure. side of the comic, had two stories, the first of which was titled Prelude to a Mission. It was written by Robert Conti, penciled by Matt Haley, inked by Tom Simmons, lettered by Dave Lamphere, colored by Digital Chameleon. This part was really short. We start off with the Barbie twins, Sia and Shane, who are getting ready to be a part of a fashion show. And they are putting themselves together in front of the mirror, arguing about how late they are. They get a call from the obsessed doorman, Jeff, who tells them that their helicopter has arrived <laughs> to take them to their show. Their mm -hmm. helicopter, casual. Yeah, casual like that. Yeah. They get rid of Jeff by both kissing him on the cheek at the same time and watch from the copter as he shouts for them to come back. Mm -hmm. Once they're in the helicopter, they're surprised to find that the pilot is a woman named Betty Bloodred. And she also used to be a model and explains that she was disfigured and had her natural beauty stolen from her. And of course, it was all the Barbie twins fault. Of course. So... Betty is heading to send them both into acid to make them feel the way she does. You know, the casual vat of acid that we were all concerned about as kids. Like, tell me you're a James always. Bond villain without telling me. Good Lord. <laughs> Seriously. And then that's it. That's like, literally, that's the end of the first part of the story. You could have just serious? made this that's the it? whole story. Okay. I'm not joking you. That is it. The second story on the first side was titled Virtual Phony. And was written by Robert Conti, art by Peter Sue, lettered by Dave Lamphere. Both were edited by Jim Salakrup and Dwight John Zimmerman. The twins are exactly where we left them. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. They are still in the helicopter with Betty. They've had their good looks threatened, which is apparently the worst thing that could ever happen. I... And who's going to tell them about aging? I mean, for a woman so... in the 90s? Yeah, I guess. Like, I mean, you know. fair enough. But ugh, yikes. What a what a throwback to worst times. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so they formulate a plan. 
And while there's a a clear shield between the twins and Betty, Betty tells them to pull out their mirrors and look at their faces for the last time. <laughs> it's so okay. dramatic. And while doing this, they also pull out guns. You know, they shoot the control panel and uh. Betty hits one of them with a ray, blasting the receiver one of them is wearing. So just when they fear that they're going to go down all three of them into the acid because of the freaking busted helicopter control panel, the twins are instead teleported without any notice to what is described to them as a virtual reality. It is never explained what happened to their bodies or how they were teleported. So just stop asking about it, Mike. So So we, as the audience, get the info that the twins are actually intergalactic agents, and they have been working with a larger galactic organization, which, of course, (sighs) is working against Betty and her boss. So right then, the twins are again teleported to a totally different place. Okay. In place of a captive from their organization who had been missing for years. I don't, they are taken from the prison and told they're going to be part of a sideshow for this big dragon wearing glasses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they're told that they have to fight to the death against each other. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're not actually going to do this. So they use their fancy twin telepathy, which we find out right then they have, and end up blasting the dragon and they get sent home. And they appear back at their apartment and just start getting re-ready to go to their fashion show. Casual. But okay. we also see a last frame of Jeff, who is clearly part of the whole operation, with gleaming eyes and a snarky last line that leaves the reader thinking... We'll be seeing this random side character again in no time. Like everything about this feels like something that like, <laughs> like a five-year-old hopped up on too much candy would come up with where it's like, and then they reveal that it they have so telepathy much. and then they're intergalactic agents. Oh, they're in virtual reality now. Oh, they're teleported. It's like, what is going on? And then there's a dragon. <laughs> Did I say five? I meant six. Six is about the age you get yeah. into dragons. Sorry. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was so much. We're okay, so, so we're only we, through two stories, right? We're only through two stories because Jesus now Christ. we need to flip the comic over. Okay. Just flip it, flip it over like yeah. hot dog style. Is that hot dog style? It's I don't the know. long way. Flip it over the long way. <laughs> so and you again you read it from the correct side. So yeah, anyway. I put a note in here that what kind of bothered me about the way this was set up was that I didn't know what side I needed to start on. Mm-hmm. And maybe it doesn't really matter. Like, I feel like. No, because it's like two like front covers. Matter. Like, so I've got the sitting in my yeah. collection. I still haven't read it, but it's. Well, yeah. Here. Welcome. Originally, I thought it was two issues because it was like I was grabbing the comics and it was you had two different covers. And then I realized, oh, right. no, it's the same book. It's just two different front covers on either side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and like full on. So you did accidentally pick them up. Oh, it was like they had like a set of four of them or four or five of them for like four bucks. It was nothing like so funny. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was just just a bundled package. (laughs) It's all the same comic over and over again. Mm -hmm. So the last story is titled The Barbie Twins and Razor versus the Queen City Mob. 
Yeah, you're okay. doing the groan already. Yep. yep well, okay. Yep. So definitely gonna shoehorn another another comic character in here. Yeah. Okay. So this is Razor. Basically, she wears like leather straps for a costume. Yes. And then has yes. like big old. Okay. That's the one. She was real big at this time. Also, I did not know her. I keep on coming across her stuff though. And it's weird. Like there was another crossover with Warrior Nun, and it came with like a CD uh, soundtrack bundled in that they did specifically oh. for that comic. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. So this was again written by Robert Conti, art by Steve Fastner, Rich Larson, and Peter Sue, lettered by Dave Lanfear, edited by Jim Salakrup and Dwight John Zimmerman. And Razor was created by Everett Hartso. In case you want to dive a little deeper on that. Not really. <laughs> well, there you hear it. You heard it here for... Ah, you heard it here. You heard it here. No, I can't do it. Just cut it all out. Cut the whole thing. <laughs> I'm leaving it in. Ah, no! <laughs> My worst nightmares. <laughs> the Barbie twins are sent on a mission to take in a mob boss. Like, they've basically got a contract where they have to okay. go pick him up and deliver him to the police. Sure. And they're given the address to a restaurant, and they're, as they are charming their way in, another woman bursts in, causing all hell to break loose. They're shooting everywhere, the Barbie twins are made, and they put up a fight. The twins are checking out the wreckage of the restaurant after one of them goes absolutely bonkers and just blows the whole place up. And they're looking for the boss to bring him in, but the vigilante finds him first, saying that she was going to go ahead and take care of him. So the Barbie twins kind of just shrug and let her do her thing, saying, hey, that's another way to get okay. him off the streets. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and so when Sia asks Shane what made her go ballistic while they were fighting the boss, she answered that he had messed up her hair. What else? What else indeed? Okay. So that's, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for reading this. So I didn't have to. Yes. No. Yeah. This comic wasn't made for me. This was not made for my demographic. It was, it was all about the busty twins and how tight their clothing could go. Mm -hmm. And their outfits were like just pink spandex cut down to their navels, you know, yeah, I I kept on debating doing a deep dive episode about this book. And it sounds like maybe we don't need to, because I think I kind of summed up the Barbie twins pretty succinctly. Yeah. And this doesn't really sound like it's worth a deep dive. Like, if I'm looking at the stories, ironically, they're kind of funny. But, yeah. like, taken at face value, they're clearly women being written by men into mm. a fantasy. Yeah. So, like, I wouldn't necessarily seek out any more of these unless there was, like, a really big push that there were more ironic issues than this first one. Like, if it went, like, in a more sarcastic direction and I knew that that was where it was headed, like, that could actually be really funny. But I don't think that's what this was. <laughs> no. So it was just women being written by men and drawn by men. So there were no, there were no women on staff, as you'll notice. Oh, there, yeah. Yeah. This, uh, well, hmm. Like, sorry, I, um, gave you this gem, I guess. 
No, I mean, listen, it gave me something to talk about. I was like, what am I going to talk about this week? And I opened up the box and it was just happened to be like mostly stuff you had given me. And I was like, oh, oh, this could work. Yeah. (laughs) There were a lot of books when you came over for the wedding party. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I know. I was like, wait a second. If this is your wedding party and I'm leaving with a bunch of stuff and I'm not really sure how I feel about this. All right. (laughs) Yeah. It's fine. Oh, oh man. Well, my friends, I think that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be doing some sort of deep dive next week. I don't know. We record these all out of order these days. We really do. Like, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like it because that way it's a surprise for everybody. <laughs> it's a mystery. Yes. So, yeah, we'll have another deep dive of some sort, to you know, next week. And then the week after that, we will have another dollar bin discovery. But until then, we will see you in the stacks. Thanks for listening to Tencent Takes. Accessibility is important to us, so text transcriptions of each of our published episodes can be found on our website. This episode was hosted by Jessica Frazier and Mike Thompson, written by Jessica Frazier and edited by Mike Thompson. Our intro theme was written and performed by Jared Emerson Johnson of Bay Area Sound. Our credits and transition music is Pursuit of Life by Evan MacDonald and was purchased with a standard license from Premium Beat. Our banner graphics were designed by Sarah Frank, who's at lookmomdraws.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, ask us questions, or tell us about how we got something wrong, please head over to tencenttakes.com or shoot an email to tencenttakes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter for now. The official podcast account is tencenttakes, all one word. Jessica is Jessica Witha, and Jessica is spelled with a K. And Mike is Van Sau, V-A-N-S-A-U. You can also find us on Instagram, Mastodon, Facebook, TikTok, and Blue Sky. A full list of our socials will be listed in the show notes. You can also send us mail now. We are at P.O. Box 940 in Pengrove, California, 94951. And Pengrove is spelled P E N. N-G-R-O-V-E. Send us stuff. (laughs) If you'd like to support us, be sure to download, rate, and review wherever you listen. Stay safe out there. And support your local comic shop.